Welcome to TechLash, a celebration and dissection of the tech industry and its impact on the world. Warning, this podcast has been known to raise awareness, provoke thought, and spark debate. The views expressed by the host do not reflect those of the guests, sponsors, or any other competing interests. Just how crucial is diversity to the tech world's future? Welcome to TechLash. I'm Theo Miller. I'm here with my co-host, Zibi Nawaka. Zibi, who are we talking to today? Today, we're speaking with Kashik Tawari, who is the co-founder and CEO of BetterBank.app. Now, BetterBank.app is a neobank, so it's in this new class of online banks, and it provides emergency medical insurance should you get into an accident, have an issue, you'll immediately get $5,000 deposited into your betterbank.app account. And so it's this beautiful hybrid of InsurTech and NeoBank. So one of my former colleagues, I believe, is an investor in BetterBank. And so I found Kashik through that introduction, but I was really intrigued by this concept. And again, it goes into a lot of our larger themes. And we talk about debt crisis in America, and that bleeds in over to healthcare. We're going to interview healthcare companies. And so this was a perfect company, and I reached out and got connected. Now, let me ask you, Theo, why do you think folks should tune into this particular episode? It's one of those special startups that has a high concept pitch. So in movies and in television, a high concept pitch is like the purge, one night lawlessness. You know exactly what it is when you're going into it, right? And it's the same deal with these startups where you hear the concept for $5,000 emergency fund as a byproduct of having a bank account. And at first you're like, whoa, no, there's no way. And then you think about all the processing fees. And because of that, you realize there's an opportunity for a reset and to create more value because they don't have the same expenses that a traditional bank has. And you just get it immediately. And so I call that a high concept startup. And this is a perfect example of that. That's why I'm stoked to talk to them. But first, a word from our sponsor. Diversity has always been an issue in tech, and now it has been compounded with a worldwide pandemic that disproportionately impacts underrepresented groups. This needs to change. FlockJ is a tech sales training academy that helps job seekers from non-traditional backgrounds break into tech. Sales can be a gateway into a lucrative career, and no prior experience or degree is required. FlockJ partners with the top tech companies like Zoom, Gusto, and Airtable that want to hire diverse, elite SDRs ready to sell on day one. Visit FlockJ.com to learn more. That's F-L-O-C-K-J-A-Y.com. So essentially what we're building is a checking account that comes with this no-fee insurance policy attached to it. The theme is that people need help when they're down, and oftentimes credit is not the best option. So what are ways we can take risk and divide it into a community of people who, in this case, are banking together and make sure that not one person gets undue burden? Right. 
So let's set the table with a few facts. 90% of Americans do have health care, but the average deductible is around $1,500. It's not people who have terminal cancer that are going bankrupt. Two-thirds of all bankruptcies in this country are attributed to a medical issue. That's correct. And the deductibles, in my experience, are usually pretty high. They'll insure you, but you have to get to some high threshold. I think when I was younger, I remember I carried some insurance and I was like, "Ah, I don't need the best one. So I selected one, but my deductible was so high. And that year I had medical costs and I mentioned I got that accident, but I easily hit that deductible right away. I had to pay that. Yeah. Insurance plans are definitely convoluted. Better Bank is a checking account. Our primary goal is to build a bank around vulnerabilities, so the pain points that people have when they go through life. The primary hook that we have is a free emergency insurance, right? So even if you have $5,000 deductible, your insurance won't pay you a single cent until you hit that. But where do you get that $5,000? So if you are a Better Bank customer, in case you get into an accident or a medical emergency, we will pay you cash. And you don't have to pay us back. Essentially, every time you use your better debit card, we make a small percentage of the spend that you do from the merchant, so not from your pocket. So that's the goal. Everyone wants to move people's paycheck, moves bulk of their spending over to their card. That's the fight. That makes for a great venture-backed business because you could understand how VC could subsidize the loss of revenue as they allocate those processing fees over to the emergency fund. And if you think about the emergency fund, it's typically going to get like 15 to 20 cents per transaction with a little bit of a percentage Mm -hmm. when people swipe their cards. If you swipe your card at a corner store or what have you. And emergency funds do exist today. Synchrony, Discover, and there's another one called Marcus that Goldman does. They're around, but the combination of these two ideas of connecting this fintech idea with an insured tech idea to create something wholly new makes for a great investment from the VC side, but also obviously a great value for consumers. Yeah, I agree. I haven't seen it laid out this clearly before. You mentioned a few other providers, but it's never been so clear to me that you can say, hey, we'll have this community, as Kashik said. We'll bank this community, and then we'll use the fees collected to provide this large policy to cover our members. I like that approach. And I think that's the future of being able to solve or help solve some of these critical issues, but also they're launching what could be a very successful digital bank and neo bank as well, too, while solving some of these under insurance issues we have in the United States. And if you dig into Kashik's story, it's remarkable how he got to this idea from his first company and his overarching story is just very compelling. I've been lucky to get a bunch of really interesting opportunities along the way. Like I've been exposed to startups in high school, essentially. So I took a gap year before college, moved to the U.S. in 2012 to go to Columbia. Completely out of the blue, didn't expect to come to the U.S., got a full financial aid package from Columbia to make that happen. Once I got here, again, got a little bit of funding from Columbia to keep working on ideas, and then that turned into dropping out of school for the the Thiel Fellowship. So there's a big tradition of immigrants founding companies in this country, 43% of the Fortune 500 are founded by immigrants, at least in the year 2017. And when it comes to scholarships, we're talking about a fraction of a percentage of students who get a full ride. And it's not cheap either. The total cost of Columbia is over like $240,000, $250,000. So that's extremely impressive. And then to say he gets the 
Teal Fellowship, which is even more selective, is really a testament to what we're dealing with here. Yeah, I think Kasha's journey into tech and into the U.S. is fascinating. And to be able to have both of those opportunities, obviously these two organizations have noticed something special in Kashik and what he can deliver. You know, we were invited to work out of the Thiel Foundation offices and everything was around there. So you could see him walking around. You could go up to him and ask a question. But you were a college grad and you were in front of a billionaire and you were like thinking in your head, what can I say? that is going to make this guy like me or be like, yes, you are the kid I was waiting for. But there's nothing you could say. He's not going to be like, yes, I've discovered this sort of diamond in the rough and I'm going to help you figure out your life, which is what you want when you're looking up at a mentor figure. But I don't think Peter Thiel was trying to be a mentor. Okay, so there's a disclaimer at the top of the show that says our views are not the views of our guests. (laughs) We want to emphasize that. We want to reiterate that. And we want to make a point of saying that Kaushik values all the time he spent with Teal and all his time at the Teal Fellowship, and it's helped his career immensely. You can't have an honest conversation about the Teal Fellowship without going into the man himself, without talking about Peter Teal. And so I want to break down some top-level stats about his bio, and then we can talk mm-hmm. about some of the controversy. It's a little bit of a centerpiece. You can't talk about this second wave of dot-coms in Silicon Valley without talking about Peter Thiel because he was so successful in the first wave with PayPal. And then he went on to become an investor, very famously was the first check into Facebook. He founded Palantir Technologies, Founders Fund. He's big into contrarianism. So while everyone's running around doing their Medium posts, as a precursor to that, he published Zero to One. I would argue he's the preeminent thought leader in Silicon Valley. I would agree with that. I think he was contrarian at a point in time when the online community wasn't as large and you didn't get this Silicon Valley consensus. Now, if you look at VC Twitter, there's a lot of people screaming they're contrarians, but they're all saying the same thing. So I think that disqualifies you from being contrarian by definition. You're all consensus at this point in time. That's exactly right. And that's the irony of it. And that's a big part of the multidimensional nature of Peter Thiel as a figure, because he represents at once the aspirations of Silicon Valley, which is this very high-minded, principled, philosophical perspective. And yet, if you look at it from a slightly different angle, you end up in a place where you're like, oh, that's actually not going against the herd in any way, shape, or form. That's just a truism. And so Even though he initiated a lot of these concepts, they've become so commonplace that the notion of contrarianism has now become something of a cliche. I loved David Mamet in the early 90s. I loved his plays. And same thing with Sorkin. These playwrights have very distinctive dialogue. What you find is over time, they almost become parodies of themselves. Tarantino is another example because everyone starts to write like them, right? And so if you have every single founder in the Valley writing a Medium post in the style of Peter Thiel, Peter Thiel himself starts to become a little bit cliche and predictable. But then there's also this moment that's like when Dylan went electric, when suddenly he sued Gawker, and then everyone disowned Thiel. That in conjunction with the RNC appearance when he endorsed Donald Trump. So he went from being the preeminent thought leader that everyone was on board with. Everyone was listening to the audio tape of Zero to One in their Teslas in 2012, right? And then he became persona non grata amongst the liberal sect of Silicon Valley, which I would argue is the entirety of Silicon Valley. And so 
Making a bold claim like that, I almost want to reiterate the disclaimer once more, but I do want to say that suing Gawker is not good. Even though Gawker is not good or was not good, suing Gawker is not good. The precedent is bad because what that establishes is the ability for anyone to come in and say, oh, fake news. I don't think it's a coincidence that that kind of an action was taken by a billionaire worth $2.1 billion in 2016. And what have we had between 2016 and 2020? The chipping away at institutionalism in this country, the chipping away at the New York Times. Oh, it's fake news. It's fake news. The way that that was reappropriated by Donald Trump when originally it was used to describe the fake news that he was spreading himself. Yeah. So here's my response to that. I don't think I'm fully on your side. Gawker was a salacious, disgusting publication. I understand the premise and saying, hey, look, you outed me in 2007. So the whole Gawker story for folks who may not be aware, they published something in the late 2000s that basically outed Peter Thiel. And that publication was known for doing worse than TMZ. It was just really grimy, gives me the heebie-jeebies. That said, I do think media needs to be held accountable. I don't agree with the whole fake news and that strategy. I understand your point about the erosion of institutions, but I also think media needs to be held accountable in a way they haven't been for as long as I can remember in my adult life. But here's the big issue. Silicon Valley funds these companies in this optimistic way that they're going to become these decacorns down the line. And so there's a leap of faith that that requires. And in creating that leap of faith for everyone to participate in, a narrative is written. Journalists come in and they cover these companies. What do they do? They write a narrative. And so what you have is two subjective accounts as to what a company is and what their mission is. And so if you look at a company like Theranos and you're sort of like, okay, well, they're doing great in the world. They're going to create blood tests that are much more efficient. We see where this is going. They're given the benefit of the doubt because there's so many great technology companies that have accomplished as much as that, as significant of an accomplishment as that in different ways. It's subjective, the degree of accomplishment, but they've accomplished great things based on a hypothesis and a trend line and user growth. But then a publication like the New York Times can come in and say, well, you know what? They haven't actually done anything yet. And they can take the cynical approach. But what you have is these Silicon Valley icons and the Silicon Valley, at the very least, investors going up against the media because there's two contradictory narratives. And Silicon Valley doesn't think of what they're talking about as a narrative. They think of it as science. They think of it as, well, if we fail this time, we'll just get more capital and we'll do it again. But it's just as fictitious as what the New York Times is doing. And so what you have is combating narratives. The same way these tech companies need to be regulated, so do the gawkers of the world. Publications shouldn't be able to do that and be covered under First Amendment rights. So in a sense, I appreciated Teal regulating an unregulated entity that was able to go out and do whatever freely, but then you can't have it both ways. Then you can't say, well, then I want all my startups to be unregulated. And Facebook shouldn't have to be regulated. People should go on there and spit as much vitriol as they want. You can't have your cake and eat it. So we realize international students like me come to the US, we get health insurance. We don't get treated as a separate entity. We get treated as any American. We're going back home every every year. I'm not going to stick around if I fall like really sick. We essentially built a separate health insurance plan for internationals. And it was much cheaper than what you could buy online. 
I think what we realized is if you want insurance to work out, like it, it, you got to make it free. And then we found this business model of banking plus insurance that subsidizes our insurance using the banking product. Second time founders is a big thing in Silicon Valley. There are some VCs who only invest in founders who have had a go at it. It's one of those hand recognition things. And if you look at some of the great companies like Tesla, Square, Slack, they're all second time founders. It's part of the whole scientific method of it all, right? A startup is really just a form of a science experiment and we're engineering our way into perfection. Yeah, the interesting thing is one of our early investors actually gave a talk to our company and he was saying that he actually does not invest in repeat founders. He feels like that magic and that drive you can't get that twice. I don't know if I necessarily agree with that. I think people who are bitten by that bug and are just called to it, it's like people who go and do the music thing nonstop. And a lot of them will go start another band with other big musicians. In the 90s, a lot of these guys that formed bands were from other bigger rock bands. The best lead singer got with the best guitar player, and then Allison Chains is formed with funding founders. I think if you're bitten by the bug and you do it, you learn a lot after those first couple of rounds. I know way more than when I was coming into my first tech company. While we were in this space, my brother got into an accident. He played rugby for a school team, got into an accident, then had to go get an x-ray done. Nothing big, just an x-ray and ER. And the medical bill that he got, even with health insurance, was beyond his means. He couldn't afford it, ultimately went down to collections. So it went on his credit report, lowered his credit score by a huge margin. And then we started digging into this problem and we were like, it turns out medical debt affects younger people the most, right? So it's not cancer that's putting people in medical debt. It's just a simple stuff that happens in every day, like falling off a bike or getting hurt in a game. And so we basically were like, look, we've worked in insurance. We have that background. This is a problem that we have. We feel the pain. Given what, is, what we see out there in the world, is there a way to take insurance and make it like, much more friendly? So the way Kashik talks about it, he sees his company as competing with neobanks like Chime and Simple that establish the category. And for people who aren't familiar, it's a lot like other fintech categories like crypto or like robo-advisors, right? It's emerged as this space where these new startups can reinvent what it means to have a checking account. And there's 39 million neobank users worldwide. And it sounds like they're really going to reset what people expect you can get from a basic checking account. Yeah, I worked in banking for a fair amount of my adult working life. I was a retail personal banker, worked at Citibank, Union Bank. The people who were coming in the office were usually elderly folks and business owners. I never saw people our age coming in there to bank because they were all doing online banking. But I think the good thing about these neobanks popping up is a lot of these other banks aren't going to be able to get away with these overdraft fees. Wells Fargo did this thing where they front load your largest expense. Even if you made a smaller expense at an earlier time, they'll take the full day's worth of charges and front load the largest one. So it almost purposely tripped you in to your overdraft fees. It was super disgusting. They got slapped on the wrist for it and had to pay a fine, but it was a slap on the wrist again. And so I think if there's any good thing that comes out of all these neobanks popping up, it's these big players. They're not going to be able to nickel and dime and do these certain 
features and fees of these accounts anymore. They're going to have to compete yeah. with the neobanks. We're thinking about rather than charging you a nickel dime, you let's take some of the fees we get on transactions and do things like provide emergency insurance for our members. Yeah, they got into the habit of managing customer dissatisfaction. It's the same thing that Blockbuster was doing until Netflix came along and disrupted them. People sign up for Better Bank with the worst day in mind. And so how do you prepare for the worst day in mind? It just means that when people do need you, you got to be there. The idea is that if everybody spends money, we get a little bit of money from everyone and we can put into a pot and then help some people out of that number who do fall sick or who do get hurt. But if you are trying to free ride us, then we will stop coverage. Again, whenever I hear about Better Bank, I just think of it as this classic VC play because it's such a big idea that if it works, it'll really, really work. It'll be more than a 20x return. But I could imagine some consumers hearing the idea of Better Bank and really wanting to dig into the details and figure out how it's actually possible. And we explained how it is logistically. And it's just like any other FDIC insured bank, right? They have partners who they can work with to make sure that everyone has that $250,000 insured. But it is such a dynamic solution that I think when the average person first hears it, they really need to hear how it functions because it just sounds like, wait a second, I just have an emergency fund that I don't have to pay back. How does that work? Well, the way I would probably articulate it, it's like when I rent a car with certain credit cards, right? I have collision insurance that's provided to me as part of my credit. So the fees they collect, they use a portion of that to give you perks so that you use their card and you do more transactions. So the concept has been around for some time. I think you alluded to this earlier in the episode. I think you're right. And they'll need to explain like, well, will you kick me off my bank account? Or what if I have two accidents, right? But I think the biggest opportunity, and you mentioned how this could be a big idea, I think it could be massive if they're able to be successful in this supplemental emergency insurance, but they move into other insurance fields, right? I use Lemonade, which has been great. They went IPO. They do homeowners, renters insurance, but it's really easy. It's all AI customer service. So it's like one of these new insured tech Mm -hmm. companies. You have Next Insurance, Clover, which just got acquired. So you have these new insured tech companies. I take Kashik at his word when he talks about the bank and the neo bank piece. But when I asked him, he's like, no, we're an insure tech company. But when I drill in on the insure tech piece, I'm like, they can really expand. They can possibly go into renter's insurance and homeowner's totally. insurance and all these other forms of insurance. And that's where I think you see the total addressable market, as we like to say in, in the VC world, the TAM. And you're like, wow. This could actually be super massive if successful. That's what I'm saying. Like from the investor side, that part's really clear. But from the consumer side, I strongly disagree with the notion that getting a perk from your Hertz reward card has anything to do with a $5,000 emergency fund. That's preposterous. Getting a perk from your Hertz reward card. Explain further. I don't understand the difference. You equated perks and an emergency fund. An emergency fund is something that could prevent bankruptcy. It's not like 10% off Dunkin' Donuts, right? If I rent a car and I get into a collision and I 
don't buy that insurance, whether I'm buying it from Hertz or it's provided to me by my Visa card that could really impact me. So it's not so much the perk side of it. Have you ever dug into like your Verizon and they have these really lackluster partnerships with Applebee's yeah, yeah. and you're like, wait a second, I didn't even know Tower Records was still in business. Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. And I think describing it as perks gives it this kind of negative connotation. That's what it is though. The perk of opening a better bank account is this emergency insurance. It is a perk. Like Citibank used to have these specials with VIP access to concerts. So they had a deal with Ticketmaster. So you get first dibs to get seats and stuff if you use a Citibank card. So I do think it is perk. I think this emergency insurance is a perk of opening up a better bank account. However, as I said, as they go through the growth stage and they expand into other pieces of insurance, maybe the bank account would be the perk and you're actually going to an insurance company. That's our show for today. If you enjoyed it, please give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts and share it with your friends. Tell them what you loved about it. That would really help us out. If you have any questions or feedback, email us at mailbag at hitstartmedia.com. For Zibby Nawaka, I'm Theo Miller. Have a great week.